this is the room where my life stopped making sense. I am sitting in the back of the sanctuary of a church in Boulder, Colorado, where a college ministry called the Annex has met for decades. And it was my sophomore year of college that I walked in and sat right here at a point of desperation. I was entering into sophomore year and living the college life pretty well, chasing after all the parties and all the things that you do as a college student. And on the outside, was having fun, but on the inside, I had this feeling of lostness, of loneliness, of confusion, and lack of purpose. God caught my attention. A friend of my brother who lived on the other side of the country was praying one day, and for some reason, just started writing a few things down about my life. So my brother sends me this, and I didn't believe that stuff happened. I didn't believe if you prayed that you'd ever hear anything back. And I was skeptical of the whole thing, but when I read what she had sent to my brother, I thought, God's got a warrant out for me. He knows what's going on in my life and he's trying to get my attention for some reason. So I did naturally what I thought to do and just go to church. Uh, at that point in my life, I figured that God was real. I had grown up hearing about Jesus, but I assumed that he had no reason to like me or want anything to do with me. So I just thought maybe I can walk in to a church building and make amends or apologize or do something and then maybe he'll just kind of get off my case. So on a Tuesday night in the fall of 2008, I walked into this place and I sat down and I heard the gospel and it was like the first time where it actually was the voice of Jesus. Like, I actually love you. I actually have a purpose for your life. I actually want to be a part of you on this earth. And I had no reason to, to believe that based on how I was living, but something was calling to me to say, no, I want you right here. At the end of that night, they announced that there were winter break mission trips and there was gonna be one going to Cuba without knowing anyone that was gonna go on that trip, without having any idea how I'd pay for it and really no idea why I would go on a mission trip for winter break when I could be home partying with all my old friends. I signed up, I just put my name on the list and said, I'm gonna go. A few days later, my childhood neighbor emailed me back when I emailed him to say, I'm going on a mission trip. If you'd like to donate $50 or something, I'd love for you to be a part of this. And he said, I'll pay for your whole trip if you go. So I thought, well, I should probably do this. I came back to this place. I started to feel God calling to my life and things not making sense. A few weeks after I first came here, I was in the lobby right behind me, standing there as the awkward guy who doesn't know people and offends Christians and didn't really want to talk to anybody. And I ran into a high school buddy of mine named Doug Weckenman. And I looked at him and he looked at me. We'd seen each other around on campus here and there. We'd partied together a little bit in high school and had classes. And I said, what are you doing here? And he said, what are you doing here? So we sat together and I met his brother, Ryan. And the three of us found out that we had all been invited to be in the same group, a Bible study, and none of us wanted to do it. There was these two senior guys, Sam and Brandon, who felt like it was their time to lead, to step up and, and bring some young guys who were lost and broken to a relationship with Jesus and help them start walking and figuring out their faith. And so the three of us decided, all right, we'll try this group. And we started coming here on Tuesday nights with those guys and suddenly had this support system, suddenly had some friends that loved us and didn't really make sense, but wanted to be a part of our faith journey. And slowly, I started sitting closer to the front in this room. I started coming here confident some nights that Jesus actually loved me and I had a, a path and a plan for my life that I was on. And then there was a lot of nights when I walked in here and felt like I shouldn't be here. I remember the roller coaster of college sitting in this place and feeling like Jesus you can't possibly still want something to do with me now. Like I came in here without any relationship with you, but now I have one and I'm still messing up. I'm still falling. There's no way I should be here. There's no way that you have anything left for my life. 
but he kept calling me back. He kept putting people in my life that would speak truth to me, that would love me, that would encourage me and push me forward. We got asked to volunteer. I remember sitting in this room and we got to watch videos that we made for our college ministry just to make people laugh and thinking, am I involved in a church right now? How did this happen? How am I here? How is God using me in any way? And by the end of my time as a senior, I was always in the front of this place. No matter how I felt, no matter what had happened the weekend before, I just knew that this was home. That no matter what it felt like on Saturday, that there was Tuesday night, Tuesday night was still coming, that I still had this place, and that Jesus had brought me here for a reason. The definition of grace, the most simple definition that I've heard is unmerited favor. The first part is unmerited, undeserving. And that's how I have felt my whole faith journey, especially the night that I walked in here. I don't deserve to be a part of a church. I don't deserve the gospel and the goodness of Jesus. I don't deserve the fact that he died for me. And I certainly don't deserve that he has a life ahead for me that could be so far different than what I was creating for myself. But I kept hearing this good news of Jesus, this grace, and, and the other word, favor, that there were these people suddenly in my life that he put next to me, that there were these opportunities that I didn't have any resume for. And it was from this seat that I started to see the grace of Jesus, not just save me, but call me and push me. And that's what grace does is that it, it transforms us. It starts to move us and starts to change the way we live because we realize if this is true, if God is truly calling to us and he'll get us into places and he'll try everything he can to help us realize his goodness and, and the plan and the purpose that he can use us for, then I wanna be a part of that. And so sitting here, at the back of this church in Boulder, where I once walked in as a desperate college sophomore, this is grace from my vantage point. Hey, to uh, the person in this room right now that hears the words of that song and just feels like that's not for you, there's grace for you today. The person that feels like God's just done with you, there's grace for you today. The person who's trying to find a way to just sneak out of here before this gets too real. There's grace for you today. Somebody in here who's just in some of the darkest moments of your life and you feel alone. There's grace for you today. Somebody that's hurting and you can't imagine forgiving. There's grace for you today. Somebody in here who's hurt somebody and you feel like you can't imagine being forgiven. There's grace for you today. Somebody in here who's just reasoning that this is just make-believe what God's doing in my life. It's not real, it's stupid, it's emotional, trying to talk yourself out of what he's doing. There's grace for you today. You're in the right place. I just, I'm praying that you would not hear a sermon today, but that you would experience the grace of God firsthand because this just has to be personal. You've got to experience it for yourself. And that's what happened to me in that pew couldn't explain it, couldn't put all the words to it, but I just experienced the grace of God. And I just wanna pray that for you, Jesus. Would you move in this time? Give us a willingness to hear from you and be moved by you. I pray that today would be a day of salvation and a day of transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. Grab a seat. If I haven't met you, my name's Ethan, same guy from the video. Didn't land either service. Okay, normally count on the 11 a.m., but you're hanging me out to dry today too. Cool. Doesn't matter. Got the grace of God. It's, this has been so fun, these vantage point moments. I'm looking at that. I'm thinking of myself when I first sat in that pew. If I saw 
myself now, like sharing the gospel with other people, I'd probably look and be like, how did that happen? Also, why do I look like that? Why did I go down that road? But I would have been stunned and shocked at the way that God moved into my life and started changing it and transforming from where I was at. And I've been so nostalgic with these vantage points, listening to early 2000s Hillsong. Came to my rescue from the inside out with everything. Tear down the walls. It was a lesser known one, but one of the best. With everything, though, is the greatest worship song of all time. It's been fun, and I've looked, uh, just thought a lot about my story and what God's done in my life, and the word grace is just what kept coming up, which seems very common, like that's all of our story, Um, but it's the word that just kept coming to the forefront of my mind. I just see the fingerprints of grace all through my story. It was the grace of God that some girl that I didn't know on the other side of the country was praying and had something to share with my brother, which got to me and stopped me in my tracks, caught my attention. It was the grace of God that There was a welcoming college ministry in Boulder, Colorado, of all places, that I walked into and experienced that. The grace of God, though it doesn't always feel like it, that I ran into Doug and Ryan. It's a joke. It's okay. You're at church, but we can have fun. We can laugh a little bit. I promise it's okay. But the grace of God that got me to a bonfire, I went on that trip to Cuba, and I was standing around at the bonfire one of the nights of the trip, New Year's Eve, and I just finally was like, "I, I need this. I need this grace of Jesus, and I've seen it all the way to today, grace. I've tried to outthink that for this sermon, like it seems so simple and foundational, and everyone's heard a million sermons on grace, but I was having lunch with a friend of mine a few weeks ago, and he was very honest, just talking about grappling with his faith, and at one point, just very humbly, he said, I just don't understand grace. I don't get it. I don't think I ever have, and it clicked for me, like, no, I just, I need to lay this out. Just speak clearly about the grace of God because I know there's a lot of people in this church that are kind of maybe newer to church or floating around and trying to figure out what you believe and and I wanna make it clear for you what the grace of Jesus means for your life. But I also know that some of the people who understand grace the least have spent the most time in church. And so I I felt like God was just like, be clear. Just tell them about the grace of God because it's your story. And so I wanna do that. Grace as a concept is kind of like catching jello. It's like you get a little bit and you're like, Do I have it? Do I not? What is it? And so I want to make things clear with five questions that I've been asking all through my faith journey and try to give some answers to these because you need to ask them if you're not and you will ask them. But before that, I want to read a passage from John chapter 1 where we get the grand introduction of grace. It says in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the son from the father full of grace and truth. John, John the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the simple gospel, God so loved us He sent his one and only son. He laid down his life for us. He paid for our sins and he rose from the grave to give us eternal life. Grace has now invaded. It has made its way here in Jesus. So the first question we've got to ask as we're trying to catch Jello, is what is grace? Like what is it? It's infinitely complex. So hard for a broken human being to fully grasp the grace of God. 
and yet extremely simple. And so the definition that I said in that video was unmerited favor. That's probably the most common, simple definition that I've heard, and that's right. It's something unmerited. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't deserve it. It's just been given to you, and it's favor. It's blessing. It's a gift from God. But as I've been thinking about grace and my life and, and talking about it, there's another word I want to add to this definition. I don't know if I can add words to definitions, but at this church, perhaps I can. I want to add the word transformative. Transformative, unmerited favor. So let's work backwards there, okay? We know we got the gift. We've gotten the favor, the blessing from God that we didn't earn or deserve. He just gave it to us freely in Jesus. And when that becomes the center point of your life, when that is your reality, you can't help but be transformed. It will change who you are. Here's why. Because, as John 1 tells us, grace is not a principle, it's a person. It's not something that you just get in your head and then you just know that fact. It is a person. It is your Savior who you have a relationship with. And if you have a relationship with the Son of God, you can't help but be transformed. So transformative, unmerited, favor, question one is already done. Question two, and this, so that was the most foundational question. This is the most important question. Do I really need this? Do I really need the grace of God? When I was a college sophomore, I would have said, eh, I'm good. I don't need it. I've got life figured out. I'm living my way. Things are fine. Not perfect, but fine. I don't need it. Some of you may answer that question right now. I don't, I don't really think I need the grace of God. I was reading about the story of C.S. Lewis, who is uh, one of the great Christian thinkers ever, written so many classics um, about the gospel. And his backstory is that as a child, he lost his mom at age 10. And then years later, he saw the horrors of war as a young man, and he ended up growing into a very angry atheist. Anything that looked or smelled like religion or faith, he wanted nothing to do with. The problem for him was some of the people he loved most were Christians, were believers. One of those was J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote the Lord of the Rings books. And so those guys would sit and talk. And as C.S. Lewis was an intellectual who wanted to know the answer to everything, he wanted to have it all right here, J.R.R. Tolkien told him, hey, this Christianity thing, it's not based on a myth. This is a reality. This isn't some feel-good crutch story. This is a real thing that happened, that Jesus Christ came to earth and he laid down his life for our sin and he rose from the grave. And what happened to C.S. Lewis, one author said, that knowledge suddenly demands from you a reaction, a reaction of choice, to believe it or to reject it. The grace of the gospel demands a response from us. And that's where I found myself as a college sophomore. Same place as C.S. Lewis, two peas in a pod. So many similarities between the two of us. <laughs> but this may sound like an oversimplification. I felt I had three options when it came to just what do I believe, what is everything about? Option one, there's nothing beyond this. This is all an accident. We're just here for a time. For some reason, do some good while you're alive, even though nothing matters in the end. And uh, make the most of it while you're here which I was trying to do a really good job of in college. But I wasn't feeling full life at all. And maybe you're there, and I don't mean to demean or belittle you at all if that's where you're at right now, but that option did not work for me. I've seen, I had seen too much as someone without faith to just believe that this was all an accident and nothing mattered. So that moved me to option two. And that was, okay, well, in that case, and I'm acknowledging that somebody's out there, 
let's call him God. Uh, if he's a perfect God with life beyond this and a plan and everything like that, then I'm guessing where I found myself as a college sophomore, I've got some work to do. Because I've kind of run away and I've done all the things that I'm not supposed to do. So now I got to work my way back to him to get in his good graces. That's why I showed up to that church like, hey, man, what do I need to say or sign? Like, can we just call it good and I'll start like volunteering here and what do you need me to do? It sounded like the most logical option, but not the most appealing because I had a lot of work to do in that case. I had done all the things that you learned growing up in church to not do. So now I'm thinking I've got to undo not just my actions, but my thoughts. And I think what my soul knew deep down is that's, that's not possible. That's not going to work for me. But what I was hearing, and that option, by the way, is called religion. Any uh, world religion will tell you you've got to earn your way to God or the gods or a higher power, whatever it is. It's all on your shoulders. I wasn't hearing religion when I walked into our college ministry. Suddenly, I was being introduced to a person named Jesus. And what, what I realized through this story was that the third option was my only hope. If I can't make my way to God, then my only hope is that he's come for me. And John chapter one tells us that it was the law that came through Moses, right? That's another sermon for another day, but this earning mentality religion was actually the grace of God to be the diagnostic to show us that you need a cure, and it's not you. It's like an x-ray, that Old Testament law to show you, here's where you're broken. And the reality is you can't fix that. You need a cure. And his name is Jesus. The throwback, You Are More song by 10th Avenue North says... This is not about what you've done, but what's been done for you. That was like, my soul craved that. I'd never heard that, never understood, never experienced that. And so I surrendered to this reality. It's my only shot. The story of Jesus, that he came for me, that he made the way. Do I need this? Do I really need this? Romans 3.23 says, for all, so that includes you and me, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. We've all fallen short. That's why the answer is yes. Yes, you need grace. It's all you've got. It's your only hope. And I want to speak to our kind of cultural moment where we're at, especially my generation. We're very noncommittal and we like to be vague about everything, especially when it's eternity. And I think it's out of a good heart. We don't want to offend somebody. or Maybe we don't want to get put into a certain category. And so we kind of have this loose belief system of put out good vibes and just live with positivity and do some good and good comes back around, kind of a loose karma. And I was there as a, a college sophomore, so don't hear me coming at you. Um... But what I realized is, respectfully, that will not save you. It doesn't work. You'll stand before God and your good vibes and your positive stuff is, and I don't mean that, I know that a lot of people, I'm not making fun of that. I'm, I'm pleading with you to realize that just won't work. You can't outweigh even the thoughts in one day you have that are sinful with good vibes. You can't. And the reality is you don't want that mentality. You don't want that guiding your life. Here's what karma says, you get what you deserve. I've met a lot of people who are dealt a hand they didn't deserve. I wouldn't tell them that they got what they deserve. 
The gospel says you got what you don't deserve. The grace of Jesus Christ. That's what you want. The good news for you is it's a reality, not a myth. And that's what I understood. That's what I experienced as a college sophomore. I realized that all the apologetics and the scientific, archaeological data, all the, the facts, the history, like there's, there's great cases, and it'll build your faith, and we can talk all day long about the logic of the reality of Jesus, but it's not until you personally, you make this personal and you say, I need that. Give me that. I'm gonna put my faith and my trust in you, and I'm gonna take that grace and run with it, Jesus. That's where my life's gonna be centered. Now, it's not until you experience it that it's truly the transformative, unmerited favor of God guiding your life. And that's, that's why I prayed for you to experience it today. That's all I'm doing right now. I'm just setting a table so that as we worship, so that as you get in your car, you go about your week, that you will be opened up. My hope and prayers, you'll just be opened up to say, God, I need your grace. Let me experience it. Let it transform me. And you need it for salvation. It's all you've got, your only hope, but you need it every day from there. You just need the grace of God all over your life. I've needed it in so many moments. Moments, I, I showed, up to our, showed up to our group one night in college in tears to tell these guys, I'm a Christian now and I just had a one night stand this past weekend. And I was ready to just call it quits. I'm like, there's no way. And it was those guys picking me back up and saying, no, 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 because grace is sufficient for you. We're going to walk forward. There's transformative power here. You're realizing something like Doug said last week, some things are getting ruined for you. The old life isn't working anymore, but all have fallen short and all will fall short. This isn't about that. This is about the grace of Jesus. I needed his grace when my son was born early and my wife and I were in the NICU. Everything was upside down. And what his grace was was his presence just with me. Uh, last December, uh, my wife and I, I, I stood on a COVID floor and watched my wife say goodbye to her grandfather. And we look back on that and we're like, how did we like drive to Lubbock and that happened in 24 hours? It was so fast. And then like we're somewhat still intact after going through all of that. Like how are we still here? It was just the grace of God. He was just there with us, just present. Even when I don't have the answers, even when he won't answer my question, his grace is that he's with me. We hear grace, unmerited favor, and, and we think just provision, 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 and that's part of the deal. God will provide. Now, let me just tell you, he will provide what you need, not what you want, but he will provide. He is a father who will provide for his kids, and sometimes it'll blow your mind, the blessing, and sometimes you won't get what you want, but you'll get what you need. More importantly, it's his presence in your life that is his grace. Grace will look like the favor of provision from a father who takes care of his kids, and it will look like the presence of a father who never leaves them. So do you really need this? Yes. Yes, you do. You absolutely do. I could stop right there. It's the most important question you could ever ask and answer, more importantly. And some of you in this room, you're maybe where I was at as a, that moment in college, resistant, like, mm, that's gonna, I think that means things might have to change. I think I'm not God anymore. I'd have to surrender a little bit of control here. I don't want to do that. Or maybe you're still, this is a myth. And if that's you, I just want you to know I'm just praying for you. I'm praying for your vantage point moment, and I promise you it's not going to come through someone just debating you into it. It's going to come through you opening up and saying, I'm putting on grace, and I want to experience this, Jesus. And that's what I'm praying would happen in your life.
But if you have said yes to this question, do I really need this, or you are going to say yes, there's some follow-up questions that you will ask that I've asked a lot. The first one, can I really have this? Even now? Still? That question I was asking at that group that night, can I, can I really have the grace of God? That verse in Romans 3.23 that says that all have fallen short is followed by Romans 3.24. And all, which includes you, are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. No catch. No asterisk. Except unless, nope, all are justified freely. So the answer is yes, you can really have this. But you're going to keep asking this question because you will fall, because you're human. In that first passage we read from John chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Now, Ryan and I were talking about that verse, and it seems funny that John says grace upon grace because he could have just said, For from his fullness we have all received grace. And that's true. Ryan, being the brilliant scholar he is, the modern C.S. Lewis, just in my life, he said, when, the, when scripture's redundant, it's for a reason. And here's what I've been thinking about. Why, why would John write grace upon grace? Why was he redundant about that? From his vantage point, John was part of the circle of best friends around Jesus that failed in front of him all the time. To the point that Jesus, when he was put on the cross, these guys are nowhere to be found, right? They've all scattered, they've all made a mess and they've, in their minds, let Jesus down. And Doug talked last week about the resurrected Jesus shows up on the beach when they've all gone back to fishing to cook breakfast for them. And I think what John realized was the grace upon grace of Jesus because it wasn't a principle that cooked breakfast for him that morning. It was a person. It was his Savior who had come back for them even now, even in this moment. Jesus, can we really have this now? Yeah, there's no catch here. There's no limit to the grace of God. Paul, in his struggles, his weakness, what does he hear from God? 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Yes, his grace is enough for you. You are not the exception. You have not shocked God. He's not looking at your life like, oh, I didn't see that one coming. Whew. Dang, how'd they think to do that? His grace is sufficient for you. Yes, you can really have it. Now, I, I want to take an interlude between questions three and four. Because some of you in here are a little concerned, a little uptight right now, because all you've been hearing is grace, 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 grace. But what did John 1 tell us? Jesus came with grace and truth. Let's take some air out of this room right now, right? Bring that hope level down a little bit. Let's not... Let's splash some cold water on these people, like sucker them in with grace and then punch them in the stomach with truth, right? There's this, there is this weird mentality in church right now that like you, you can only really do one, grace or truth. I hear a critique, you know, of, of churches like, oh, that's kind of just, a, they just preach grace, so that's a grace church. Like, oh, the gospel? Okay. Oh, they're really more truth heavy. Oh, they're telling you the truth of the grace of Jesus? But we think of grace and truth like they're like, Polar opposites, like magnets that repel each other. They can't go together when they're really like the two legs of Jesus walking together. 
So the story that gets used all the time of Jesus showing grace and truth is John 8, the woman caught in adultery, the Pharisees are gonna stone her, and Jesus stands up for her and defends her, and then he turns to her and says, I don't condemn you. Grace, right? And then he turns to her and says, now leave this life of sin. Truth. That's how we read it. Kind of like, okay, good. Give her that harsh rebuke. She's feeling good, but come on. <laughs> but here's what I find interesting about that. When Jesus says to her, I do not condemn you, he, was, he is telling her the ultimate truth of why he's here. Here's the truth. I'm here to save you. And when he goes to her and says, leave this life of sin, that is his grace, urging her into a new life to say, you don't want shame and guilt. You don't want that life anymore. This is my grace. These things go hand in hand. That's why I added transformative into this definition. Because when grace is working, when it's the unmerited favor of God, it, it changes your life. And you hear the call from Jesus, there's something better for you. What does Jesus say? I am the way, the truth and the life. Grace is a person. Truth is a person. Jesus. And I know the church worry. I think it's from a good heart a lot of the time of like, well, if we just get a little too carried away with the grace thing, then people are gonna hear that and just take it as fire insurance and just say like, yeah, I believe in Jesus and then just go do whatever they want. And I understand that worry. I think in some ways we underestimate the grace of Jesus and what it's doing that we can't see. But if you maybe hold that mentality, uh, what people would call a cheap grace mentality, it's time to graduate from that. It's time to graduate from that worry. Here's what Romans 6 says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? So like, should we just, now that we know about the grace of Jesus, like go do worse things so that there's more grace and it's a testimony? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You were just being offered a new life, not playing that, that game anymore. And so if you're somebody in here that's like, I've kind of said maybe I have faith in Jesus, hasn't like really done anything. I don't really actually know if I believe it. Uh, I'm not coming after you. I'm just telling you, you probably haven't experienced the grace of God and maybe today's your day. Maybe you just say, I actually wanna call this what it is and put my faith in Jesus and experience his grace. And also, if you're someone who finds yourself measuring people and you've become so obsessed with truth, 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 and you don't lead with grace in relationship, then I'm not sure that you're experiencing the grace of God either. And I'm not coming down on you. I'm inviting you today to the table to experience the grace of Jesus. I'll illustrate it like this. The heartbeat of this church is the story of the prodigal son. This younger son, he runs away from home, he falls into all this sin and ruins his inheritance and makes a mess, comes to the end of himself, and he says, well, my only hope, all I've got is trying to go home. And I think as he's walking that road to go back home, he's thinking the whole time, can I really have this? Like, there's no way but he's met by his loving father who runs out to him, hugs him, and says, there is grace upon grace for you, and throws a party for him. Now, this is my story, probably a lot of your story in here. The danger after that happens in our lives is we start transforming and growing, and we start to think a little bit like, hmm, I'm doing all right. I've, I've kind of gotten in shape here. 
the risk is that we start to ask the question that the older brother is asking. And that's question four, can they really have this? So the older brother was the one who stayed home and did everything right. And his sinner of a younger brother comes home and his dad doesn't just say like, yeah, you can sleep on the land. He invites him in and throws a party for him. We're gonna throw a party for this kid? No. He doesn't deserve that. And, and what I worry is that um, at a church that throws parties for prodigals every single week, that's building a front porch for prodigals, that it's gonna be hard for us sometimes to not question, ah, oh, is grace upon grace still truth today? Can they really have this? Romans 3, 27 through 30, here's what Paul says about this kind of mentality. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Don't get hung up in the circumcision part of that. What he's saying here is an arrogant, exclusive Christian makes absolutely no sense. What did you do to get here? Well, you're VIP because of what'd you do? You surrendered your life because you couldn't save yourself. Nice. So is there grace for the prostitute? Is there grace for the traitor? Is there grace for the adulterer? Is there grace for the murderer? Is there grace for the thief? Is there grace for the terrorist? Do we throw parties for them? That's the list of Jesus' closest friends. He invited them all to the party. So the answer is yes. They can really have it too. And in fact, your life is now about throwing them a party. What pride will do will lead us to a, a scarcity mindset when it comes to grace. I don't want that for you. Where a win for somebody else starts to feel like a loss for you. This scandalous grace just kind of makes you uncomfortable and feels wrong. That person's being forgiven again? What a waste. That's a scarcity mindset. When it can lead us to believe that we've graduated from grace. And I would just boldly say, if you feel like you've graduated from grace and you don't understand it, you never will. It's all you've got. And I know I'm being blunt and I know I'm being really straightforward with you guys. It's because I love you. This is my life sermon. This is what I care about, is your soul, knowing its maker, your salvation, you experiencing the grace of Jesus to save you, but also to transform you and give you new life. I, I'd give anything for that for you. I wanna just invite you to this table because here's where the fun part comes in. When you realize what this transformative, unmerited favor is, and you say, I really need this, and I can really have this, and they can really have this, and they need it. Then we get to do something. So that's the last question. What do I do, though? And I phrase it like that because I feel like you come here a sermon about grace, and it's like, you don't have to do anything. God freely gives this to you, but 
your life should look different. And you're like, so I do something or do I not do something? In college, we watched uh, right around that time, the movie Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Anybody seen that? Classic. There's a really funny scene where Peter, the main character, is, goes for a surf lesson. And uh, the, what? it's a great story. You're going to love this illustration. He goes to the surf lesson. Paul Rudd is the surf instructor. He's hilarious. And he tells him, he's like giving him the basics of surfing. And he just goes, don't do anything. And so he like lays down on the board and he's like, okay, pop up. So he jumps up and he's like, that's, that's not it. That's not right. Try again. He tries a few times and he's like, no, no, you're, you're doing too much. Just, just don't do anything. So he lays down on the surfboard and he just doesn't move. And he said, Paul Rudd says, okay, pop up. But the guy doesn't move because he just told him not to do anything. And he goes, okay, well, you got to do something. And, and I feel like that's how grace feels to us in church where we're like, what, what do I do? What do I do though? And so I just, I, I, I'm being redundant for a reason today. It is by grace, grace and grace alone that you have been saved and you just say yes. That's all you do. But the fun part comes when you realize, now I have a different perspective on life, but I have some things I get to do. The wave comes and you get to surf. You get to go because your life is no longer focused on sinning, but it's also not focused any longer on just not sinning, the religion game. Your focus is Jesus, grace and truth, a person, a relationship, a dynamic relationship that is transforming your life. When we, uh, when we have people go to grow, which you should come to right after this service. Ryan and I get to teach it together today. Could be a wild time. We craft, uh, we help people start to craft an I exist statement of what are you good at? What are the gifts that God's given you? What are you passionate about? What are some needs in the world that make you come alive? Like, why are you here? So from a pew in Boulder to that bonfire in Cuba, all the way here to just being an unqualified, willing pastor in Austin, Texas, here's my I exist statement. I exist to help people realize that because of Jesus, they're playing with house money. So if you don't know about gambling, <laughs> thankfully I read an article about it. <laughs> we, let's say you go to a blackjack table. You're gonna bring a certain amount of money. Like you bring what you have, right? So years ago, I was in Las Vegas. The article I read was about a guy in Las Vegas. I go to the table and I have a certain amount of money that I'm like, okay, I'm willing to lose this, betting on it. And this is how I'm gonna bet as I play because I don't wanna be emotional and just bet on emotion. I'm just gonna bet this way. So I have my system, I go to the table, I start playing blackjack. What I realized really quickly is I had not thought through in my system, my plan, the reality that might be possible that I actually made money, that I had a side pot of money that I hadn't brought I had no plan for that. I just didn't expect that. That's because Las Vegas looks the way that it looks because we go there and lose, right? I hadn't even thought about that pile that is called house money. House money is the money you didn't bring. It just was given to you, right? And here's the house money effect by definition. It explains the tendency of investors and traders to take on greater risk when reinvesting profits. So no longer are you playing with fear because you've been given something and you're, you didn't bring it, you didn't earn it, you just have it. You have endless stacks. And the analogy that clicked, has clicked for me is that I've got this endless stack of grace. 
I'm playing with house money. Now, here's what I'm not talking about, negligent bets of sinning just because I can, right? We already graduated from cheap grace. We already talked about that. I'm not playing with a scarcity mindset anymore like I normally would with what I brought because I'd say, well, if I run out, like, I'm done. I don't have enough. No, I'm playing with house money. This is what my friend Chad says, an understanding of grace is where risk comes alive and fear goes to die. That's house money talk. Spoke to somebody over there. I had kind of a house money moment when I was entering into my, my last year, my senior year of college. All through this journey of ups and downs, the voice of grace, the biggest voice of grace in my life was my grandmother. So I was just grappling with faith and realizing I really need this, but always asking, can I really have this? And what do I do? And she would keep encouraging me and pushing me. And right, uh, right entering into senior year, I kind of had got to this point where I'm like, I just... I don't understand grace. I don't get this. I drove down to her house and I just kind of vented to her. Like, I, I hear this reality of Jesus, but I don't get it. How can he still have grace for me? Haven't we kind of run out at this point? My grandma was listening and she said, uh, you're like an old war horse. I was like 21 at the time. Okay. But that's kind of an odd thing to say. And she started to explain, she said, You've been out there and you've done a lot and you've seen a lot. You've been in some battles and you've got some scars from those battles. They came with consequences. And you've realized a different reality about running out onto that battlefield now. And the beauty of those scars, those battles you've been in is when you run out there, you're gonna see people with wounds and you won't be able to run by them and think not for them. They can't really have that because you know where your scars came from. Now you know that you've got what they need. So you've got the supply now. You're the war horse that runs out onto that battlefield with the supply of everything that they need out there. So go run. Stop looking back, go run. And I drove back up to Boulder and it was like something clicked in me. House money, Ryan, we were talking about that day and he was like, I looked you in the eye and something was different in your eye that day. Because what I realized that day was at some point, I just had to accept the grace of Jesus and realize I'm not the exception to this. I'm not that person that shocked him. I'm not that story. I'm not, I, I'm not the unsavable human being. And I can spend the rest of my life just debating this and just playing with the scarcity mindset and thinking I've got to get back to even with the dealer or understand that my debts have been canceled and I'm playing with house money. And so I have a whole new reality now where my focus isn't on living in a world of sin or trying to just avoid sin to have a good resume to show God. No, I'm gonna stand before him and all I'm gonna have to say is your blood, Jesus. That's all I've got. That's all I've got. It's your grace that has saved me. And that's a reality for me. So what that means is, okay, well now I spend the rest of my life going and investing, investing this grace, this endless currency, this house money. I just go invest it in the lives of the people around me. I run out onto that battlefield for the sake of the people who are wounded right now and don't know, here's some grace, here's what you need. You really, really need this. And guess what? You can really, really have this. That's why I exist. I was thinking about that song we sang at the beginning. The words obviously come from Amazing Grace, probably the most famous song in the church ever. And I think what clicked for me in that time period was it was time to stop calling myself and being the wretch who once was lost. Now I've done enough, been humbled enough, made enough mistakes to always know this is only by the grace of Jesus. However, I'm found now. I'm a son of God. I'm different today than I was then. 
because he has transformed me with his unmerited favor in my life. So I'm not gonna just be that wretch anymore and just keep believing about myself that God can't use me or there's not enough grace for me. No, that's not the story. That's not my reality. I'm going to play with house money. Jesus said, freely you have been given, so freely give. Go play. You have transformative, unmerited favor. You need it. You can have it. For some of you, today's your day to say, I need that for the first time. Bring it on. Some of you maybe just needed to realize again, like, oh, it is simple. I don't have to measure other people. I've gotten to be that older brother asking, can they really have this? And it's time for me to just actually stop questioning them and run out onto the battlefield, not underestimate the grace of Jesus. Some of you, the grace you need is just provision right now, straight up, and I will make no promises. I know that God is faithful to give what he promises, but what he promises is grace, and he promises what you need. He doesn't always promise what you want, but he will provide. Some of you, it's his presence. You just desperately need to feel that he's there. You need to know that this isn't a myth, this is a reality. And so I wanna give a chance to just do that right now. As we go into worship, I asked a bunch of our leaders to just kind of surround this room like a a super prayer team um, to be there for you. And and I wanna ask right now real quickly, I know this is just kind of bold, but is there anybody in here that's just like, today's my day, I gotta call it what it is, I wanna put my faith in Jesus. I know normally we tell you to close your eyes, but it doesn't have to be a private thing because we're a family. We have some, we have some hands in here. Be proud of that. I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to manufacture a moment right now. I'm setting the table like somebody did for me so I could finally just go, I need this, it's time. Everything else I've tried, none of it's, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's all I've got, it's my only hope. And here's what I wanna ask, if you're somebody in this room that today you're like, this is my day, please come pray with one of us. Ryan and I will be standing right there. We'll have leaders all around this room. Come pray with one of us so we can maybe answer a couple questions and help you. Like, what do I do though? And can I really have this? And and tell you a little bit and pray for you and you'll feel and experience the grace of God. Make a bold move. What we do a lot in church is we just stay put and stay the same. So I wanna just challenge you to make a bold move today. If you're somebody who's like, I just need to experience the grace all over again. I heard this, I was that younger son, but I need it all over again. Then go pray with somebody. Pray with somebody for provision. Pray with somebody for presence. You guys stand to your feet. Jesus, I thank you for every single human being in this room. I thank you that you use broken people, that you transform broken people so that we can play with house money, that we can invest our lives, everything that you give us, that we can pour it out so other people can know what we desperately need and what we truly want, which is you. I thank you that you came for us. If you're somebody in here right now who today has just raised your hand and just said, I wanna follow Jesus. I just wanna give you some language, some words that you can just pray right now. Maybe you've never prayed before to just say, Jesus, thank you that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. Today, I accept your grace and your forgiveness. I put my trust in you. Jesus, I pray for people with hurt and pain that your grace would show up right now, that they would experience it, that we would all be reminded that your grace is sufficient for us even when things don't make sense. And Father, I just pray right now 
that chips of grace, poker chips would just be falling all over this room, that we would see the endless stack of grace that you've given us, that we can have, and that we can go play with. In Jesus' name, amen.